Okay, well, let's uh, pray first. Uh, thank you, Father, that we can gather together in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ today. And just for the time that we had uh, before your throne and in your presence to worship you and thank you for uh, just for this great and wonderful salvation that we come to remember as we come to remember you and your death, burial, and resurrection. Thank you that even though we were lost in our sin, we were filthy and dirty with our iniquity and sin, Lord, you washed us clean. The snow reminds us of that, Lord, that, that uh, you have washed us and made us clean and pure. So we thank you for that, Lord. Pray you be with us now as we share some things from the Word. May it be encouraging to all of us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I, had, I was thinking about what to share, and at first I was thinking of uh, talking about humility. And I remember, I remember years ago realizing that God's not going to do anything for us until we humble ourselves before him. And I was reminded of James chapter 4. And uh, verse, starting at verse 6, says there, But he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw, draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn, and weep for your laughter, uh, be till till your let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and He shall lift you up. So that's what I was starting to think about a couple of weeks ago, and that's a good topic. But we're not going to we're not going to do that today. And then I was starting to think about one of the words that we see in the Bible a lot is were joy or rejoice. Uh, the Psalms are just filled with, with talking about rejoicing before the Lord. You know, in Luke chapter 1, verse 14, I believe, start at... This is uh, uh, when Zacharias, uh, he was troubled and fear fell upon him. But the angel said unto him, Fear not, Zacharias, for thy prayer is heard. And thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John. And there shall shalt have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth. So you see, rejoicing over the birth of, uh, of John the Baptist. But also in Luke, when Mary went to visit with with uh, her cousin, it says there what, when uh, they came in, it says, "For lo, as soon as the voice of thy salutation sounded in mine ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy." What babe was that? 
John, John, yeah. And then in uh, Luke two ten, and this is when the, the shepherds were out watching over their flocks, and uh, and Mary was going to have ba- the baby Jesus. It says in verse. Uh, See. 2.10 And the angel said unto them, talking to the shepherds, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. So we just see all these, uh, all these verses talking about joy. And uh, one other verse I would like to look at uh, is in Psalms. A pretty wonderful verse for me. For me. Is uh, Psalm 16. Uh, towards the end of the th- chapter, it says in verse 7, I will bless the Lord who hath given me counsel. My reigns also instruct me in the night seasons. I have set the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. Therefore my heart is glad, and my glory rejoiceth. My flesh also shall rest in hope, for thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to seek corruption. Thou wilt show me that the path of life in thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. So I was thinking, uh, I'd like to talk about joy and rejoicing, and that'd be a good topic, but we're not going to talk about that today. <laughs> uh, it kind of goes real well with what Rod shared this morning, Brother Rod, and that's to talk about some of the attributes of God, his character. Um, I've been looking through some of... Um, my, the files that uh, Sister Sue had, and um, I came across something that she had seen, and it was, uh, I got this years ago, back in New Jersey, I used to get this called the Discipleship Journal, and in this journal, it talks about some of the, some of the attributes of God. So I'd like to share on this a few of them today, this morning, some of the attributes of God. And there are many attributes, right? Rod talked about a lot of the character, uh, the character of God. Um, so the first attribute, though, I would like to talk about is uh, He is eternal. So I'm really I'm really going to be sharing just things to remind us of a of a few of these character qualities, these attributes of God. And then I want to read some of what some of the brothers, some of the other Christian brothers say about those attributes. So number one, he is eternal. Eternal. God is eternal. Let's go to Deuteronomy chapter thirty three. Verse 27. 
Deuteronomy 33. Bear with me as I turn these pages and get to Deuteronomy 33. What I say, Deuteronomy 33:27, and that verse says, "The eternal God is thy refuge, and underneath are the everlasting arms. And He shall thrust out the enemy from before thee, and shall say, Destroy them." But the first part of that verse, talking to the children of Israel. The eternal God is thy refuge, and underneath are the everlasting arms. Uh, what does everlasting mean? Kids, you know what, what that word means? Everlasting. <laughs> Just what? Forever. Forever. Everlasting. Everlasting. And that's what God is saying about himself. He is the eternal God and the everlasting. His everlasting arms will uphold them. So it says there that the eternal God is thy refuge and underneath are the everlasting arms. Now turn to Romans chapter 1. And verse 20, and it says there, For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, having understood by the things, yeah, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Romans 1, 20. Then Ephesians 3, 11. And it says, uh, according to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. If, if God has had an eternal purpose, what's that mean? That he's always been. He's always been. And he does have an eternal purpose. And we've talked about that before too. God's wisdom and purpose are eternal. And then in 1 Timothy chapter 1. Let me start reading at verse 15. 1 Timothy chapter 1, starting at verse 15. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Howbeit for this cause I obtained mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all long suffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him 
to life everlasting. Now unto the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Now unto the King eternal. The concept of eternity is beyond our imagining. The eternity of God refers to his existence backward through time and beyond, further than we can imagine, and forward into the future, as far as we can imagine, and beyond. God never had a beginning and will never have an ending. There never was a time when he was not, and there will never become a time he ceases to be. God is an uncreated light. We are created. God is and must be incomprehensible. If we could unravel the mysteries of his person, we would elevate ourselves to his level, which we cannot. And in Genesis 1-1, what does it say? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning. In the beginning of what? Time? Time means nothing to God, but for us it does. He created time. He created the beginning of everything. Everything that we see, the heavens and the earth. We see wonderful, marvelous things in the heavens and on earth, don't we? That point us to an eternal God. I remember, again, I've shared this before, being up in the Northwoods and going out on the lake at night in a canoe and uh, getting away from all the lights, of course, up in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan and looking up in the sky. And I had never experienced that before. And with the naked eye, there were just thousands and thousands of stars. And it made quite an impact on me. And I'm thinking, oh God, how wonderful you are. Um, And then we can look at the earth and see all the wonderful things that he created here on earth. Yeah, we have an eternal God. He has no, there is no past, present, or future with him. Psalm 90. You turn there. It says, Lord, thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever thou hast formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. He is from everlasting to everlasting, perpetual forever, always. And then the last one I want to look at for this Attribute is Revelation, chapter 1, 
verse 8. It says there, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Now I want to read what one of the brothers said about this attribute of God. And this brother's name is uh, Emil Bruner. I don't have read anything from him before. I haven't. So, have you? Have you? <laughs> well, anyway, some good brothers here that have some uh, some things to say about this uh, attribute of God. Emil Bruner. God stands above time because he is its creator and Lord. The God who creates time, who makes a beginning, who allows time, and who will one day say, now it is ended. This God is not himself involved in the time process. The eternity of God, this simply means his lordship over the time which he has created. So, um, so God is eternal. One of his attributes is eternal. The second one that I want to look at is that God is holy. He is holy. And if we turn to Isaiah 6, somebody turn to Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. And then we'll turn to Isaiah, though, first. Isaiah chapter 6, which Daniel mentioned uh, last week or week before. Starting at verse 1, we'll start there. It says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon the throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims, each one had six wings, the twain he covered his face, and the twain he covered his feet, and the twain he did fly. And when one cried unto another, and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, the whole earth is full of his glory. And the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Kind of goes with what uh, Brother Rod showed this morning. We were so unclean, unworthy, and yet the Lord... wants us to be his possession, which we'll look at later. Exodus 3, chapter 1. Chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. Does anybody have that? Can read that? 
Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. And the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, Do not come near, take your sandals off your feet. For the place on which you are standing is holy ground. Okay. Uh, so yeah, Moses, in the presence of God, uh, spoke of that, that holiness of God. Holy, that is, pertaining to God himself and the things of God that are sacred, like holy places, like the temple, the holy of holies. Um, holy garments and the things used in the worship of God. All the things pertaining to God, he talks about as being holy. Even the priests, what they have to do before they went in to serve, they had to wash and put on clean garments because God is holy. Holy, pure. Holy means pure, free from defilement. That is clean versus unclean. And in Psalm 99, verses 5, verse 5, it says, Exalt ye the Lord our God, and worship at his footstool, for he is holy. And also verse 11. 11? There is a... Yeah. Uh, it must be 9. Exalt the Lord our God, and worship at his holy hill, for the Lord our God is holy. Then turn over just a couple pages to 103, verse 1. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. He is holy. Psalm 111. Verse 9. He sent redemption unto his people. He hath commanded his covenant forever. Holy and reverend is his name. Our God is holy. Holy and reverend is his name. And then in First Peter chapter 1. It's a Peter. See what our brother Peter had to say. Verse 15. It says, But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. Well, how, how do we become holy? It's that great salvation that he provided for us. And um, when we were still in our sin, Christ died for us. 
and he washed us clean. There's no other way for us. We're, we're defiled. Before we come to him, we're defiled, dirty, unworthy, and yet he loved us and sent his son to die for us and he gives us robes of righteousness, his robe of righteousness, so that we can be holy as he is. So, in the Godhead, we see what in John chapter 17, verse 11. And it says there, And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to thee, Holy Father. Keep thou thine own name, uh, keep thou through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. Uh, Jesus referring to his heavenly Father as Holy Father. And then in John 14, 26, It says there when, when um, Jesus talked about the Comforter coming, the Holy Ghost. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. Holy Ghost, you know, the, the Spirit, Holy Spirit, Holy Ghost. So we have the Father who's called Holy, we have the Holy Ghost. It is called Holy, it's the Holy Spirit. And then uh, in Acts, we see uh, talking about Jesus. In Acts 4, Acts 4 27. It says, For of a truth against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together. And then uh, it's also spoken of in verse 30. By stretching forth thine hand to heal, and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of thy holy child Jesus. So in the, all aspects of the Father. With the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, or the Spirit, they're all called holy. All called holy. I'll read a few quotations from a few of the brothers on this attribute. Again, email. Uh, well, let's start with James Montgomery Boyce. Um, I think he was from Philadelphia. It says, he said that in its original and most fundamental sense, holy is not an ethical concept at all. Rather, it means that which is of the very nature of God 
and which therefore distinguishes him from everything else. It is what sets God apart from his creation. It has to do with his transcendence. And then uh, Emil Brunner again says that God alone is God. The creature is only a creature. Hence the holiness of God evokes from man an incomparable sense of distance from him. God in his nature is inaccessible. He dwells in light uh, unapproachable, 1 Timothy 6.16. And then one of my uh, my favorite authors is A.W. Tozer. He says, We know nothing like the divine holiness. It stands apart, unique, unapproachable, incomprehensible, and unattainable. The natural man is blind to it. He may fear God's power and admire his wisdom, but his holiness he cannot even imagine. Holy is the way God is. To be holy, he does not conform to a standard. He is that standard. He is absolute, absolutely holy with an infinite, incomprehensible fullness of purity. Holy is the way God is. I like that. Yes. And the third attribute that I wanted to look at this morning is God is loving. God is loving. Uh, Galatians 2.20, we could probably recite that. For I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life I live now in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. He loved me and he gave himself for me. And then we can look at, at a few other scriptures. Ephesians chapter 2. And, uh, you know, we talk about God's love all the time, but uh, good to be reminded of it. Ephesians chapter 2. Verses 4 and 5 says, But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace we are saved. And then in chapter 5, verse 12. No, that's not it. Well, oh, five, one and two. It says, Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also loved us, and hath given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for his sweet smell and savor. He loved and loves us. Right? He loved and continues to love us. Second Thessalonians. Chapter 2. Someday I'm going to be able to see better. 
Sunday. Second Thessalonians chapter two, verse sixteen. Now our Lord Jesus Christ Himself and God, even our Father, which hath loved us and hath given us everlasting consolation and good hope through your grace, comfort your hearts, establish you in every good word and work. Love is the essential nature of God, I wrote here. His love is seen in the gift of his son, Jesus. And his love was not drawn out by any excellency in us. And again, Romans 5.8. But God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It was an exercise of the divine will and deliberately and deliberate choice made without any assignable cause, save that which lies in the nature of God himself. And I want to uh, look at this a little bit more in Deuteronomy chapter 7. We see God responded, talking about the children of Israel, but it also applies to us. In uh, Deuteronomy chapter 7, Verses 7 and 8. It says there that the Lord did not set his love upon you, nor choose you because ye were more in number than any people, for ye were the fewest of the people. But because the Lord loved you, because he would keep the oath which he had sworn unto your fathers, hath the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you out of the house of bondage from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. So it wasn't anything on, of us that God saw anything good in us. It just, he did that because that's in his nature. There was no cause for him to do that from our standpoint. We were lost, and, but he did it because it's in his nature to love. A revelation, again, chapter 1, verse 6. Revelation chapter 1, verse uh, starting at verse 4. And this is our brother John. John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you in peace from him which is and which was and which is to come, and from the seven spirits which are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us, and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and hath made us king, our kingdom, kings and priests, unto God and his Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Unto him and loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. What a love. What a loving God. We read again what one of the brothers said. I'm going to have to look up this email Bruner. I don't know. I don't know who he is. I've never heard about him before. 
Because of the, the mall. I'm sure he's at Wikipedia. Probably. Yeah. But God is a loving God. Found it here. <laughs> oh, here it is. Okay, Emil Bremer again says he says the moral law of the love of our neighbor does not stand by itself, but it is the result of the original relationship between the self-given creating God. And the man who has been created by him and for him. The first element in man's relation with God is not the law, but the self-given love of God. Faith is indeed simply being grasped. Faith is indeed simply being grasped and held by the love of God in Jesus Christ. The fact that God is love is the quintessence the central word of the whole Bible. The God of Revelation is the God of love. And then, <clears throat> then Imah Bruner again. Well, that was Imah Bruner. A.W. Tozer said, though, it is a strange and beautiful eccentricity of the free God that he has allowed his heart to be emotionally identified with men. Self-sufficient as he is, he wants our love and will not be satisfied till he gets it. Free as he is, he has let his heart be bound to us forever. And then uh, Lewis Sperry Chafer, heard of him. Uh, Though infinitely holy, he nevertheless maintains a relation with fallen creatures. Not a quiescent aloofness from them, but a vital pulsating nearness. That is what those brothers say about loving God. Loving God. He is. In 1 John chapter 4 and verses 8 and 16, we don't have to go there. He says, God is love. God is love. And then we have, uh, so we have God is eternal, that we looked at, God is holy, and God is love. Uh, these other ones, there's a few other ones here. And I just want to read some quotes on. One is God is all known. And I'll just, I'll just read a quote. God is all knowing. And what quote did I want to read? For the question. Uh, Brother Imah Brunner again. God is all knowing. God's knowledge is not objective and impersonal, but interested. His knowledge is the expression of sympathy, his care, 
his planning and his love. He knows what we need uh, before we ask him. So he knows everything about us. He's all knowing. He knows what we need. And then God is all powerful. And again, God is so much more than what we can uh, can share here. God is all powerful. This is uh, Lewis. I just had this is a uh, Lewis uh, Sperry Chaper again talking about God and so powerful. Uh, let me read uh, what uh, Spurgeon said. For God to rule the angry sea seems nothing to be compared with the power which he exercises upon himself when he endures the provocations of ungodly men, the hardness of their hearts, the rejection of Christ, and oftentimes their blasphemous speeches and their unclean deeds. O sinner, when you are sinning with a high hand, with an outstretched arm, it is not, is it not a wonder of wonders that God does not cut you down and end your insolence? And he can do that. He's all powerful. God is all caring. And we won't, well, I won't read any more of these, but God is all caring. God is changeless. He's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He never changes. He never changes his mind about things. He's always the same. God is good. We know that. God is merciful. Talked about that. All these attributes not only speak of God the Father, but also of His Holy Spirit and also uh, of Jesus. These are the character, the attributes of our God in His three persons. And there are many other attributes, I must admit. Many more. Uh, we would have a long list if we talk about the different attributes of God, His character. So today, at least, we looked at three a little bit more closely. He is eternal, He is holy, and He is love. But He's so much more. And uh, the whole universe is really governed by his character, right? Um, why is lying a bad thing? Because that's part of God's character, it cannot lie. Uh, and all the other things, that we live in his universe. And uh, we need to learn how to be good citizens of his kingdom, because he's the one that has right and wrong, good and bad. It's all because of his character. That's the way it is. So 
We need to learn how to live in his, his universe, in his world, and follow him. So thank you, Father, for your attributes that we learn about from your word. You speak of them. Thank you that you are an eternal God. You are from everlasting to everlasting. Thank you that you are a holy God. But thank you that you also want us to be holy. That's why uh, you've provided such a great and wonderful salvation through your son Jesus to make us, as we call upon you and ask you to be our Savior, Lord, you make us pure and holy uh, just as you are. And you also show us how loving you are by providing for us not only salvation, but providing for us uh, just everything that we need. Even even being able to please you, Lord, you provided a way for us by giving us your son, giving us your life, and uh, allowing us to live by your life and not by our old nature. So thank you, Lord, for who you are, and uh, this just gives us a glimpse of some of your attributes, but there is so much more. You are so great, so wonderful. Uh, we just will never fully comprehend just uh, who you are and uh, your character until uh, we're with you for eternity. So thank you for this word today. Encourage us, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.